as we celebrate what God's doing through you all, through us as a church. Some of those numbers as the team put that together and as they gathered those different impact statistics from different areas, I was just amazed at what God is doing through our church. And one of the fun things about being part of such a large movement of God is this reality that no one of us can see it all. Uh, even if you are a super volunteer and you're involved every day serving in some part of our church, the reality is there are places around the world and even places right here in Indiana that are being impacted every day. And in this series, Changemakers, my heart is to encourage you. My heart for those of you who are serving, you're giving, you're praying is to say, way to go, keep it up. God's making a difference through you. He really is. And for others, we know there are many new people who've been checking out our church. Some of you have been on the journey for a year or two or a month or two. And in this series, we want you to see a little bit of what we're all about. And we want you to be invited to be part of it. So that includes those of you who are watching online right now and those of you who will watch online later this week. Well, I have to tell you guys a real life kind of irony for me. Yesterday morning I got up, I was preparing for our Saturday night service and I had seen that video and those statistics and knew of stories of life change that are happening right now and so mentally I knew, wow, God's doing all these great things. But personally, emotionally, I was really down. And it was one of those things where you have a friend and you love the person and you do your best to be a good friend to them and this friend feels like I've let them down. And it was one of those conversations that I had where I, I physically was not able to be at an event for this friend because I just can't be two places at once, but I love this person, I've invested in this person, and it's more or less a misunderstanding, but I just, it just, you know that feeling when you have interpersonal conflict and you really love a person and you really are trying to do your best and it just seems like it's not enough for them? Do any of you guys know that feeling? That for me is what I was dealing with yesterday morning. And so I actually got in my car. I had to go for a drive and just talk to God. That's what I do when I have emotions I need to work through. I go for a drive and I just talk out loud to God. And here's the kind of things I was saying. I was saying, God, I know you're doing all these great things through our church and your call for me this weekend is to go encourage thousands of people about what you're doing. And I know all that is true, but right now I just feel discouraged myself. I feel, you know, kind of down. And maybe you're here and that's you. You think, well, that's great that this movement is reaching so many people. That's all awesome. But that doesn't really change the pain that's in my life. We all have pain in our lives. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding with a friend like I described. Sometimes it's much more serious. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one or a cancer diagnosis. We all have pain. And here's what I know about you and me. It's true of all people. Pain has the power, if we let it, to take us out of the game in life, doesn't it? Pain can become paralyzing. Even if it's not physically paralyzing, it can paralyze us from living our best life. In other words, if we lean too far and we start to wallow in the self-pity and we just, you know, we're thinking about that painful thing every morning when we wake up and every night when we go to bed, before we know it, there's some things we would normally do in life, but instead we just kind of sit on the couch, we lose our motivation. In the worst case scenario, pain, paralyzing pain, can put us on a downward spiral where we start to isolate from people or we start to self-medicate with other things. 
We all have these kind of pains in our lives. So here's the question I was wrestling with yesterday as I was finalizing this message. How do you keep paralyzing pain from paralyzing your life? When you wake up and something has gone wrong or something has been going wrong and you just think, yeah, I love God. I love what he's doing in the world. I'm all for it. But I, this pain is just emotionally, I feel like I'm almost paralyzed. I don't even know how to move forward. How can you keep that from stopping you in your tracks? How can you keep that pain from stopping your forward progress and your personal growth and in your relationship with God? Well, as I was driving in my old Land Cruiser, talking to God who was sitting in the shotgun seat with me and just verbalizing all of this and saying, God, um, you know, I'm yours. I feel pretty low myself, but if you want to use me to, you know, encourage these people, go for it. You're going to have to kind of do a miracle in me. And as I was talking with God, I just sensed this nudge of just, you know, John, turn on the Bible. I love to listen to the Bible. And I've been in the Gospel of Luke, so I just put it on the audio. Sometimes God says to me, and it's not like audible, but it's this idea of like, John, maybe just stop thinking about yourself so much and, and listen to my word. And so I turned on the Gospel of Luke, and I happened to be at this moment where Jesus has been rejected by his closest friends. He's been abandoned. And an entire city is calling out for him to be tortured and killed. And in this moment, Jesus is carrying his own cross. And God took me emotionally. I want to take you into this moment where Jesus, a real person historically documented, many non-Christians who write about Jesus of Nazareth in this time and also write that he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. And the gospel records tell us that as he's walking there, he's abandoned by his family. He's betrayed by his closest friends. And just think about this emotionally, because Jesus, he was fully human. He had all the same emotions that you have. He had all the same pain sensors that you and I have. And here he is carrying his own torture device to his death with a whole city of people mocking him and scorning him. And as he's walking down that road, where are the thousands of people who Jesus has fed? Remember those miracles when he'd feed 5,000 or he'd feed 4,000? None of them show up. None of them step in the road and say, whoa, whoa, why are we crucifying this guy? He feeds people. And as he continues down that road, the people who he healed, the blind people he gave sight to, the parents who were pleading with him to heal their children and he miraculously did, none of them step in the road and intervene. Jesus now is walking to his own death. And the very people he's helped are either standing idly by or as in the case of his closest friends, they've run away in fear. And the friends who said, I'll fight for the death, I'd fight to the death with you, Jesus, have said, I don't even know him, and run the other way. You talk about paralyzing emotional pain. You talk about paralyzing relational pain. Jesus has felt it. And in this moment in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is under all that pain. And not only that, he's under physical pain. Physically, Jesus has been stripped naked. He's been punched. He's been whipped. Not just any whip. The Roman guards, they had this really vicious whip called the cat of nine tails. And they would take these long cords of leather and they would wrap in the leather broken shards of pottery and stones 
so that when one of those strong Roman soldiers would whip that around a person, all those cords would wrap around the torso and the little pieces of rock and pottery would dig into the skin and then they'd rip it back. And Jesus in this moment, his back and his chest have been shredded by this Roman cat of nine tails. The blood is dripping out. He's been abandoned, he's been rejected. He's unjustly and wrongly accused. And he's stumbling forward carrying his own torture device of death. And it's in this moment fully human, feeling every kind of pain we have or ever will help. That this dialogue, Jesus sees these women who do have compassion on him. And look what he says to them in Luke 23. He says this, don't weep for me. Could you imagine being in that moment? And finally, here's someone who's compassionate and you say, don't weep for me. Don't think about me. Think about yourself. And then as he continues on, he ends up pinned above these spectators in this spectacle of shame and of torture and injustice. And as he's looking out into the eyes of people who have hatred and murder toward him in their hearts, he cries out this in Luke 23, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even realize the significance of this. Could you imagine being in that kind of pain under that kind of injustice, under that kind of agony and in the moment saying, Father, don't deliver me, but forgive the people who are punishing me wrongly. This same man, Jesus of Nazareth, now today, our calendar's based on him. Year zero, it's been 2019 or 2020 years since he was born. Year zero of the global calendar is based on this guy. Every atheist, every Muslim, every Buddhist, their calendar is based on this guy. Not only that, most of the world gets Sunday off of work because of him. If you trace it back through history, you'll find out it was his followers who said Jesus rose on a Sunday. That's why Western nations don't work on Sundays. This man who went through this paralyzing pain would 2,000 years later have more followers in the world than anyone else in human history. According to the Pew Research Center, a non-Christian group one out of three people in the world today says, I'm a Christian. That's 2.4 billion people. So you look at the biggest celebrities on Instagram who have the biggest followings. They have usually around 100 million followers. That's about a third of the United States. Well, Jesus has 24 times that amount. But Jesus' followers don't just follow him for fashion advice. Jesus' followers believe that he's almighty God. How did a human, fully human, transform the most paralyzing pain possible into the most powerful life empirically measured in human history? And here's the answer. In his pain, Jesus was propelled forward by choosing the purposes of God. In his pain, Jesus made a choice. And in our pain, we make a choice. And in our prosperity, we make a choice. And the choice that Jesus made throughout his entire life in the good times and in the bad times was this. My life is not about my comfort. My life is not about my ease. My life is about the purposes of Almighty God. And by making that his purpose, his paralyzing pain actually propelled him to greatness. 
So what does this mean for you? Where there's pain in your life, financial pain or emotional pain or relational pain that we all endure, here's what it means. When pain would send you into a downward spiral, that brokenness in your heart, that discouragement in your spirit, that physical pain that your pain sensors are screaming out, when it would send you into a downward spiral, where you start to isolate from people and you start to self-medicate with unhealthy things and you stop doing the healthy things in your life. When pain would do that, here's how you take control. You choose purpose. You choose purpose. And the bigger the purpose that you choose, the more your pain will turn into actual greatness. Jesus demonstrates this for us. It's something you can apply today. It's something I've been applying this very weekend. As I've said, okay, God, there's pain around that situation. I've done everything I can to solve that pain and I can't fix it. What, what, what can I do? I can throw myself into your purposes. What are you doing right now? And here's what I've learned in my life. Whether it's physical pain that had me in the hospital or emotional pain or the pain of regret, any other kind of pain, when I throw myself into the purposes of God, he kind of carries me through and he ends up doing through me things that if I had sat and wallowed in my pain, never would have happened. You know, what it looks like in my life is, is almost like latching on to God, kind of like a piggyback ride. <laughs> like, okay, God, when my emotions start to take over, and I would start to isolate or, or downward spiral, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna grab onto you and I'm gonna trust that your movement is unstoppable. Your kingdom is invincible. And so I'm just gonna catch a ride. I'm gonna catch a ride on you. In fact, it reminds me of these remora fish. Maybe you've heard about these remoras. They catch a ride all over the ocean on sharks. Now this fish, it looks like a parasite, but it's not a parasite. A parasite, you know, feeds on its host. But the remora is not feeding on the shark. It's not drinking the blood of the shark. It's very simply just catching a free ride. And because it has attached itself to such a bigger fish, it's gonna go places it would never go on its own. It's gonna see things it would never see on its own. It's even gonna taste things because he essentially eats the leftovers of the shark's meals all the time. And this is really what it is as a follower of Jesus to say, God, whether I'm going through pain or through prosperity, the path to greatness, the path to significance, the path to meaning is to latch myself onto you. What are you doing in the world? And you take me where you're going. And if you'll do that, it'll take you places you'd never go on your own. You will see and experience things you'd never experience or see on your own. You will even taste the goodness of God in ways that you'd never taste if you were just sitting at home licking your wounds. Jesus models this when he chooses to go to the cross because it is the purpose of God to fix what is broken with humanity. That's the heart of God. He's fixing the evil, the brokenness, the pain, the suffering, the divorce, the murder, the, all the injustice and genocide of humanity, God sent Jesus to fix it. And he said, even if I have to go through pain, I will be part of the purpose of God. And we can say in the same way, if I have to go through pain, and when there's pain in my life, just because I'm in a broken world, I choose the purposes of God. And it lifts us, it carries us through the pain. 
Jesus verbalized this so many times. In John 6, verse 38, he put it this way. He said, I've come down from heaven. In other words, the reason I left the comfort of heaven to come to earth and experience pain, experience rejection, experience hunger and suffering, the reason I did that was to do the will or the purposes of Almighty God. And then Jesus says this, I didn't come to do my own will. In other words, my life isn't about seeking my own comfort and my own prosperity. Now, there's nothing wrong with comfort and prosperity. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to spend all of eternity in comfort and prosperity in the house of God. And there's nothing wrong with comfort and prosperity in this life. But Jesus teaches us this over and over. He says, if you seek your own life, you'll lose it. In other words, if you make your comfort and prosperity your top goal, you'll end up becoming very empty and inward focused. But if you lose your life for my sake, in other words, if you attach yourself to my great purpose of redeeming the world and fixing what's broken, if you'll attach yourself to my purpose, then you'll actually find your life. Jesus models this for us. And many followers of Christ throughout history model this for us. We've got three of our missionaries who are serving in foreign countries who are here this weekend. I'd encourage you to meet them after the service in the lobby. Encourage them. You can pick up prayer cards and learn more about them. You're in a room full of people who are choosing to attach ourselves to the purposes of God. But let me show you a few people from history who've really encouraged me with this idea of in our pain, we can attach ourselves to the purpose of God and it can propel us to greatness. I'm going to start at this end. This is Frederick Douglass. He is one of my all-time heroes. I actually have this picture of Frederick Douglass hanging in my office. Frederick Douglass was a slave in the American South before slavery was outlawed. And Frederick Douglass, after he escaped to freedom, he could have spent the rest of his life bitter and angry and upset about the very real injustice that he endured. He could have spent the rest of his life just as an angry, angry person, and that would have been totally just. But here's the thing, Frederick Douglass, when he was about 12 years old, he heard preaching about Jesus, and he placed his faith in Jesus. And after he escaped from slavery, he realized God is at work in the world, and he's gonna use me to end injustice and to bring about the kingdom of God. And so Frederick Douglass spent the rest of his life fighting to end slavery. And in fact, at risk to his own life, he would often go to events where people would try to kill him. And he risked the rest of his life. Pain drove him to greatness when it could have put him on a downward spiral. Same is true for Harriet Tubman. By the way, Frederick Douglass, you can read his autobiography today. It still exists. It's a great book. Harriet Tubman, same thing. Follower of Jesus. Horrific injustice that was done to her. Once she escaped from slavery, she very well could have spent the rest of her life as just an angry, bitter person reciting every day the terrible things that were done to her and that would have been accurate, that would have been just. And as a follower of Jesus, she said, these things happened to me, but I'm going to attach myself to the purpose of God to end slavery in my lifetime. Reverend John Rankin and Elijah Lovejoy were not slaves, they were pastors. And both of them gave their lives to end slavery in the United States. The Reverend John Rankin, he was a Presbyterian, he got assigned to a church in Tennessee, a slave-owning state. 
And as a young pastor, he got up on a Sunday morning and he opened the Bible and he said, here according to the word of God is why slavery is wrong and you all need to let your slaves go free today. Well, the people in his church said more or less, we, we don't want that God. We don't want to follow what Jesus actually says. They ran him out of town. And John Rankin, he ended up giving his life. He moved to Ohio just on the north side of the Ohio River, which was the boundary between freedom and slavery. And he set up the first stop on one of the routes of the Underground Railroad. And many times those pro-slavery activists from the south, they would cross the river and they would burn down his house. And so he would go to bed every night with his wife and his kids knowing I might wake up in the middle of the night to my house on fire or to a gunman in the hallway because of what I'm doing. But he kept choosing the purposes of God. Same for Elijah Lovejoy, who was both a pastor and a newspaper editor. And those pro-slavery groups, they would cross into St. Louis, Missouri, and they would burn down his printing presses. On the fourth attempt, they brought a shotgun with him and they killed him. Each of these people gave their lives in a purpose far greater than themselves. And if you read their words, you won't find the words of a bitter, angry, small person. You will find the words of a person who's full of passion and fulfillment and purpose and excitement and now of legacy and greatness. Why? Because they attached themselves to the very work of God, the work of justice in this world. Here's the reality. If you don't have purpose, your pain will paralyze you. Even a very small pain. I mean, most of us are never going to experience the pain that Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman experienced. I know I certainly haven't. I don't pretend to relate to that. We all have some pain, but I see people with much smaller pain allow the pain to paralyze them. Why? Because they don't have a purpose. And I've seen that in my life. If I don't have a purpose, even a low-level pain can paralyze me. But when you have a purpose, that's when your pain can propel you to greatness. When you attach yourself to the purposes of God and the work of God in your pain, then God carries you through in the great work that he's doing. And the reality is that the more powerful of a purpose you attach yourself to, the more powerful of an outcome you get on the other end. I mean, you could find a smaller purpose and that might help you through a smaller level pain. But here's the question, can you latch on to the same powerful purpose as Jesus? If that purpose could carry him through the suffering he went through, can you latch on to that purpose? Well, his answer to you is yes, you can. And here's how he says it in Matthew 28. Jesus came to his disciples. Now, who are disciples? Well, a disciple is anyone who believes that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for our sins. A disciple is someone who's had a moment of personalizing that belief where you very simply call out to God in any kind of words that communicate this idea of saying, God, I know I've done things wrong. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I want to receive your gift of salvation. It begins with belief. But in Jesus' culture, this word disciple, it included belief. A disciple would follow a rabbi teacher and they would believe whatever the rabbi says. So it includes belief. But being a disciple is more than just belief. It's also action. A disciple would do what the rabbi said to do. And so as disciples of Jesus, we believe what he says about us and the world, and then we do 
what he says to do. So after he raises from the dead, these 11 remaining disciples, he tells them this, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, I have the very power of heaven and now I'm delegating it to you. Here's what I want you to do with the power in your life. I want you to go and make disciples. In other words, go tell other people who are still entrapped in the slavery of sin, whose blinded eyes have not yet been opened, who still don't have the hope of eternal life or the peace of God in this life, go reach them and help them. And just as you saw me heal the eyes of the blind, go with my power to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Go feed people, go help people, go connect people back to their creator. And Jesus says to a Jewish group of disciples, don't just do this for the people who happen to live in your neighborhood, but do this for all nations. That word nations is where we get our word ethnicity. It's the Greek word ethnos. This is the heart of God. He loves people of every skin color, of every background, of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation and language. This is the God who says, God so loves the world, that is all the people, that he sent his only son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in him will not perish. Our God, he loves every Muslim in the world. He loves every atheist in the world. He loves every person of every orientation, of every identity. He loves every single one of them and he desires that every single one of them would ultimately be reconnected to him through Jesus. And so he says, here's the greatest purpose that you can attach yourself to. Be part of my global, unstoppable, disciple-making movement. That's the greatest purpose you can attach yourself to. What does it look like? Well, it looks like after people believe, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then that's not the end. Then we teach these new disciples how to live the new life. You know, every once in a while, you'll meet a person who had a dramatic moment with God at an Easter service or a Christmas Eve service, and they believe and they get baptized, and then they just go back to their totally normal life the way it was before Jesus. And it's not unlike a wedding, if you think about it. Imagine a bride and a groom, they have this big ceremony, it's a beautiful wedding. And then the next morning after the honeymoon, the, the groom looks to the bride and he says, hey, yeah, that, that was really great. I'll see you in 30 years. And that's what sometimes happens, right? People say, I'm going to follow Jesus. But he says, our mission is first of all to get people into this relationship with him, but then to teach them, here's what it looks like. Here's how you live the new life. Well, here's how this looks at our church a week ago. A brother in our church, Bruce, he brought in eight guys who he has led to the Lord recently. Uh, Bruce is here. He's the one in the black surrender t-shirt. Uh, Bruce is over here. And he's one of my heroes. And here's what's awesome about Bruce. He, he serves in downtown Indianapolis and he finds people who have searched to find meaning and healing and help in everything else that this world has to offer and then he finds them and he says, guess what, you were looking for Jesus all along. And he introduces them to Jesus and then he trains them in this new way of living. And you might look at that and say, man, that's amazing. I'm so glad someone in our church is being used like that. I'm so glad our church is doing that, but I could never do that. Here's the thing, you have a role to play. Every one of us has a gift 
to play. What is a church? It's an organized team of Jesus followers. Because Bruce, he has a specific gift called evangelism. And he has that gift in a way that I don't. I couldn't reach those same guys he reaches. You don't have to have Bruce's gift. And you don't need to have my gift. You have your own specific gift. It might be the gift of hospitality that you make people feel welcomed and loved. It might be the gift of administration that when there's a project, you're able to organize it. It might be the gift of giving that allows others to use their gifts. It might be the gift of mercy that you just have compassion for people who are hurting. We all have these different gifts. And what is a church? Very simply, it's a bunch of us who are followers of Jesus and we unite our gifts together. Believing that together, I mean, think about this. In the last two years, 587 new followers of Jesus who've been baptized. Can we celebrate that? 587. Now, Bruce is a machine at leading people to the Lord, but I don't think he could do 587 new believers in two years. No one of us could. I couldn't. But together we can, and together we are. And this is what a church is. We bring our gifts together to make disciples and when we bring our gifts together we're able to do this far more frequently and to reach far more people and to train them in a far better way as well as possible as far around the world as possible and as often as possible and here's where I want to encourage you if you're battling discouragement right now or if you feel a little like you're just kind of drifting in the wind in your life right now you very rarely meet a discouraged activist. If we go back to that picture of Bruce really quick, you know, every time I see Bruce and these men that he brings in and the other men in our church who he's training up to be disciple makers, you know what, when you're an activist for God and his purposes, you still have moments of discouragement like I described I had yesterday. You still have your ups and downs, but, but you very rarely meet an activist who's going, who's doing, who's caught up in the work of what God's doing today, who's depressed. And that's not because we're better people, it's because we've attached ourselves to a purpose that propels us in ways that are far bigger than the limitations of our own emotions. So I want to encourage you, if you're not yet on the team, you can get on the team today. If you've been on the team, but maybe you haven't really fully been in the game, and this series for you is like, you know what? I need to remind myself this is what it's all about. Choosing purpose looks like this. The church is the only organization that exists for the people who aren't here yet. My predecessor, Steve Reeves, he used to say this all the time here at Connection Point. The church is the only organization that exists for the people who aren't here yet. In other words, every seat in this room that's not yet filled, think about this right now in Hendricks County in Indianapolis, there are husbands and wives in domestic disputes in kitchens and in living rooms, and they could be in here experiencing the power of God. There are people on their way into liquor stores, in other ways that they're trying to self-medicate their pain, they could be in here hearing about Jesus. And this is why we exist. This is why God has engineered your life strategically so that in your workplace, in your classroom, in your neighborhood, in your home or family, there are people in your life who don't yet know the power and the peace of Jesus. And the only way they're ever gonna experience it is through you. 
And so in this Changemaker series, it's this wake up for us to remember, oh yeah, that's what it's all about. That's what we do as a church. That's what we do as individuals. It was so fun. I got a message this last week from a dad in our community. And he said, I started coming one year ago to Connection Point and God has radically transformed me. He just got baptized over the summer. And this morning I was praying with some guys before the 915 service. We were praying together for God to work in a powerful way. And I got to meet and be with one of the coworkers of this new believer. And what's amazing about this new believer is God has used all of us together. He used that coworker to show him what a changed life looks like. He used greeters at the door so that when he came here, he felt welcome. He used servants in Kid City who are making disciples of our four-year-olds and our eight-year-olds and our 10-year-olds right now. He used them to disciple his kids while he could come in here and work, hear the word of God. He used the camera operators. And by the way, right now, there's a camera operator who is his, his life, there's pain in it. And he's here serving. Why? Because you choose purpose. That's what propels you through your pain. And God has used all of us together to bring that new believer to the Lord. That's one of the 587. And it happens here as we stay faithful. And it happens all around the world as we stay faithful. As a church, we have one heart and we express it in a number of ways. But I wanna share with you in this series really the four primary ways that we live out this commission to go make disciples, that we latch on to this purpose to be part of something greater than ourselves. And the first part you understand very well because that's right where we are, our community. This represents everything we do here on a weekend, everything we do throughout the week, through our small groups, our holiday project, our relationship with the local schools. Our community is probably what I often call it the mothership. This is, you know, everything else grows out from this. And we're always committed to that, of course. The second thing is missions. That going back more than 100 years, this church has a history of sending missionaries. That is a person who says, I'll go to a foreign culture. I'll learn their language and their customs so that I can make disciples of all the nations. And by God's grace, we get to partner with about 30 mission groups and missionaries around the world. And many of them are here, this series for you to meet. In the next generation... We aren't just raising our kids and our grandkids passively. We are intentionally making disciples of every student and every child that's in our ministry. We're making disciples because they're the ones who are gonna be the missionaries of the future, both to Hendricks County, to Indianapolis, and around the world. And then our digital outreach, which if you've wondered in the past, you know, how does digital, how does that fit in with everything? Really, it's just another expression of missions. It's a new mission field. Now that people are doing their banking and their mortgages and their groceries and they're forming their identities on these devices, it's just a new mission field. That's all it is, one more mission field that we're going into to make disciples. So I wanna show you quickly here, these 30 partners that we have are in 20 places around the world. And it's through your faithfulness, your praying, your giving, your serving, keeps the mothership healthy, and it allows us to fund and support these missionaries around the world. I want to encourage you when you go to the lobby any week of this series to stop by the Global Impact booth. You can get a card that describes each one of these individually. You can learn about one of 15 or so trips that you could go on in 2020. 
uh, all sorts of great encouraging material for you there to see here's what you are doing as part of Connection Point. On the new mission field of digital, God is right now using us regularly to connect his word to people in 43 states and in 23 countries. So just think about that. When you're sleeping, when you're brushing your teeth, when you're going to the doctor, you're driving, even if you're picking your nose, there are people, thousands of people who are hearing the word of God every day. And there are 30 missionaries who are telling people about Jesus in languages we don't know and cultures we don't know. That's what we get to be part of by being part of Connection Point. And I want to show you a story that shows the intersection of some of these expressions of our one purpose It's one of our young people who not long ago was a kindergartner in Kid City and is now a young adult. And because she went on a short-term trip and because of you all, she has been called by God to be a missionary. And I want you to see Neely's story. Go ahead and check it out. I grew up in Connection Point and just moved to Guatemala at the beginning of 2019 in January. When I was a sophomore in high school, I actually thought I was showing up to a Bible study for teenagers. It was actually the perspectives class on missions. So I stayed and ended up loving it. And that was really where the Lord revealed to me His global heart. And I had never considered missions before that wasn't even on my radar. But that class was really what opened my eyes to the the global church and um, the possibility of going and serving outside of my native country. The process of deciding to move to Guatemala was really a process of years of um, short-term trips and then wrestling with this tension in my heart of where am I called to serve and what does the next right step for me look like. This year I have been teaching English in our Vision Trust International Learning Center in Los Verdes, Guatemala, and also in um, Cruz Blanca, Guatemala. Teaching English is the short answer I give people when they're, they're like, what do you do? But the, the long answer, what I really feel called to is to build relationships, to, um, to foster community, and to love these kids with the love of Christ. I remember a moment, stand, like standing in the, the teacher's storage room slash principal's office slash the multi-purpose room that we use for a lot of things. And like in tears, processing the day, it was a rough day. And I remember being like, Lord, this is so hard, but I'm so grateful that literally looking back, I can only say that it was you. In this next generation, I see even though I think things might get harder for them, I see the ability for them to take an even bolder stance in declaring, like even in their school, like this is my mission field. Missions is, it's, it's a response, it's an act of worship. It is a way that we say, Jesus, I love you so much and I, I would love to share you with these people, whether that is someone, somebody at the gas station or someone in a rural part of Guatemala. Our mission field is between our two feet, wherever we are, but also in the sense of He is not a God confined to culture, but Jesus is global. Isn't that great to see God's work in Neely's heart? Yeah, I love it. 
And here's the thing, it's, it's because of the faithfulness of you all. It's because of you who are praying, you who are financially supporting, you who are serving. It, all of that makes it possible for us to help Neely financially be there. But not only that, it shaped who Neely is. There's someone who was her leader in Kid City when she was in kindergarten. There's someone who was her small group leader when she was a middle school student. There's someone who discipled her when she was a high school student. We as a body together are making disciples who make disciples. And this is what it's all about. And we need times like this where we zoom out and we remind ourselves, this is what church is about. It's not about my parking spot and my seat. That's okay. That's normal. We're human. We're creatures of habit. But we're not careful. There's this internal kind of default towards a, a selfishness. At least I know I have it. You guys probably don't. But I have this internal default towards selfishness. And even though I know in my mind church exists for the people who aren't here yet, guess what can happen? We get into our little routine. We show up and we get to our usual parking spot and we walk in. It's like, whoa, whoa that, that's my seat. Why is that person in my seat, right? We can so easily default to that. And in this series, really what we're saying is, God, open our eyes back up. Re-engage our hearts so that we say, wow, there's a person in my seat. That person needs Jesus. That person is here. This is why we do what we do. We exist to reach the people who aren't here yet. You know, in professional sports, there are the, the headline athletes, the LeBron Jameses and the Andrew Lux, and, and we all tend to think of that's the team, but we see, especially in football, right, those people get injured or sometimes they retire unexpectedly. Isn't it always interesting? It's this moment of what's going to happen now? Is someone going to step up? And aren't we all thankful for Jacoby Brissett? And how he has stepped up, right? Yeah, that's okay. We can celebrate that. That's okay. I think it's great. It's been a great season so far. And here's the thing in this Changemaker series. Many of you, you're here. You're already praying. You're already serving somewhere in the church. You're already giving. And if that's you, you're in the game. You're sweating for God. Guess what? This series is just saying, way to go. Keep it up. Others of you, you've been faithful, but you've kind of been like, well, I think, you know, sometimes things change and some of the players aren't here. Do I keep going? Keep going. Keep doing it. We need each other. We can only do this thing together. And there's others of you, like that new believer I described who's been coming for a year, that now you've kind of been riding around on the team bus from game to game and to practice and you've seen what the other players are doing. And now is your chance in this Changemaker series to more or less say, coach, put me in the game. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to start actually praying every day, God, take territory for the kingdom of God through my church. I'm ready to start actually supporting it. I'm ready to actually go and make disciples. Even if that going means I'm gonna go into my kid's school and I'm gonna be a homeroom parent so that I can be there and I can help my kids learn how to shine the light of Christ as an elementary student or a middle school student, or I will go to Kid City, or I will go be a greeter at the front door. I'm gonna start serving and actually be part of this body. And that's my prayer for us in this series, is that every single one of us would just have a heart that says, God, put me in the game. There will be pain in your life. There will be prosperity in your life. What will propel you to a life of meaning and greatness is choosing purpose.
There's no greater purpose you can choose than God's great plan to rescue the world through Jesus. So in this month, I want to ask you every day to pray the prayers on this card. And actually right now, if you guys want to stand with me, we're going to do something a little different to just show God that we are united together and to show him that this is the desire of our heart. So if you're comfortable, take your neighbor's hand. If you're not comfortable, that's okay. You can put your hands in your pockets and we won't judge. But if you're comfortable, take your neighbor's hand and even across the aisles as a way of saying, God, we are one church. We are one body. We are a tribe of Jesus followers who together are doing things that no one of us could do on our own. And as we unite our hearts, I just want to pray this in your heart. Just pray along with me as we just say, Father, use our church to glorify yourself. Father, use our church to lift Jesus high. Jesus, you are the head of this church. You are the leader of this church. And we declare as a body that on our watch, you will always be the one who calls the shots around here. We want you lifted high so that all people would see, so that many people would be drawn to you. Almighty God, we come to you as people with limited resources, just like you took those five loaves and those two fishes that little boy had. Every weekend, you take my meager offering and you multiply it. And you're doing that through us as a church as we bring you our gifts, we bring you our contributions, you're multiplying it around the world. And Lord, we just commit that we'll continue to seek first your kingdom. It's our prayer, almighty God, together as a church family, we pray, would you unleash your spirit in our lives, in our families, beginning in our hearts, Holy Spirit of God, if there's anything in us that has been suppressing you or quenching you, we turn away from that. Spirit of God, we want your peace, we want your power, we want your purposes to be happening in our homes and in our cars and in this church. Almighty God, we come together asking, would you transform countless thousands Countless thousands, Lord, not only of individuals, but thousands of families where there are parents and their kids get raised in the Lord and those kids grow up to serve you and their kids, the grandkids are raised in the Lord, that there would be generational change, that family legacies would be changed. Would you use us? Would you work through us to transform countless thousands of families and lives? Lord, do this in India and in Africa, in Guatemala through Neely, right here in Hendricks County and all around Indiana through us. God, we know your purposes are so much bigger than we could ask or imagine if we will simply latch on to what you're doing today. And so we just declare to you, God, uh, put us in the game. We will live a life of purpose. We will attach ourselves to your great purpose, which changes souls for eternity and the very kingdom of God. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.